evening and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law and the Virtual Justice Project. We thank you for joining us this evening. Every year, thousands of North Carolina citizens suffer significant financial loss when they find that they have been victims of a scam or become victims of identity theft, and sometimes they are victims of both. Consumers are at an even greater risk during the holiday season. So as a holiday season quickly approaches, we wanted to talk about how people can protect themselves from scams and identity theft and stay safe on the internet. We have joining us this evening, attorney Hugh Harris, who is the Outreach and Policy Counsel for the Public Protection Division of the North Carolina Department of Justice. And we should say that Attorney Harris is a proud graduate of NCCU School of Law. Also joining us is Natalie Wood, who is the Outreach Specialist for the North Carolina Department of Justice. Thank you both for joining us this evening. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So, uh, Attorney Harris, let's start with you. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about what you do with the Department of Justice in, in your office? Sure. Um, right now in this uh, public protection section, I get a chance to do a lot of outreach, some policy, handle some policy matters, but the outreach is really focused on prevention and education um, so people won't be victims of, for example, scams. We get a chance to travel to state, speak into all sorts of groups, whether it's nonprofits. I get a chance to speak to lawyers, CLEs, doctors, whomever, um, on a variety of topics, including internet safety, identity theft. Uh, we've also spoke on the opioid epidemic to different groups, how that's affecting everyone. But primarily the scams and frauds is, is the number one because we know that the elderly, you know, they're the number one group that's being scammed out here in, in North Carolina. And we want to protect them. We want to prevent it from happening. So that's majority of what I do. And Miss Wood, what about you? Um, I also do a lot of outreach. Um, I talk about uh, internet safety primarily as my subject matter. I also talk about scams and fraud, as Hugh said, and I spend a great deal of time on the road making sure that I get out to um, organizations as well. Schools um, is, is a huge area for me because I deal with social media a lot. Um, but just like Hugh said, all those areas, scams, fraud, identity theft, um, social media safety for children. Um, but like you said, the biggest thing is scams and fraud. We want to make sure people are not losing their hard-earned money. So that's a, a big initiative at our office. So the two of you do community outreach in similar areas. So in what situation, Hugh, would you present? And Natalie, in what situation would you present? Or, or is there overlap where you all are oftentimes on the same panel? We haven't been. I think this is the first time we've been together. So it we're is. kind of excited. Yes. So we're happy to be together because <laughs> yes. uh, we work well together. And um, There is some overlap. Some groups can request us, like, for example, if Natalie's out or, or I'm out, I have covered her on Internet safety. Of course, she does it very well. <laughs> but also the professional groups, like I said, the CLEs, Continuing Legal Education, CBEs for 
uh, certified public accountant, sometimes they will request sort of a talk like that that's, that's more for their legal learning or something like that. So also for North Carolina's data breach law, that's another area w- which I'll, you know, which I get a chance to talk about and, and teach people on. What What is the law? What's the requirements for everybody here? So uh, that's usually where they kind of peel me off and I'll have to go and speak on some of those. Now, b- both of you have uh, identified vulnerable populations that seemingly end up being the uh, focus of these uh, scams. How do these potential victims end up on the, the list of the, uh, of the scammers? So um, we live in a world of information. And so a lot of times, um, just with social aggregates, you can pretty much find anybody online. And so I think a lot of that, um, uh, what I would call access that they have to consumers is probably found in some database somewhere. So the scammers are getting their information, whether they're probably putting it, putting it in for a website or um, potentially just going to a, a meeting where they might sign up for something. It's, it's a lot of ways that they could actually um, get on those lists of scammers. Yeah, that's that's correct. Social aggregates, uh, building blocks online, you can find someone's information. But also, if you've been a victim of a scam before, they have your name, they have your information, they can build a list or a profile of you and, and trade that list or sell that list to other scammers. They know they have a live person here. I've seen the obituary or something like that, and I know the surviving spouse name online, so I'm going to contact them. I'm, I see their age there. I see what their you know, deceased spouse, the age, the age wasn't it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's information out there. So they can build their list, build their profile, which is important for them because that's where they earn their money. So to the extent that people are able to limit uh, their exposure on these various uh, uh, social medias and uh, informational outlets, uh, then they uh, minimize the uh, possibility of them being identified as a uh, potential victim. I think it's very tough to do to limit what's already out there. But, for example, Natalie gives a great talk on personal versus private. Don't get, take a picture of grandma in the hospital. Mm-hmm. That's giving people information and putting it on Facebook. I know you want to tell family members, but don't do that. And having the hospital picture right there. And showing they're in bed, you know, for some, and revealing their information, health information. And so that scammer's like, oh, okay, I need to target them on this back brace or I need to really get them hard on this this stuff. So, Natalie. Um, I agree Um, exactly what what Hugh said. Um, Having, um, I guess, the freedom of the internet and that social climate that we have, it's almost become normal for people to kind of give out that information, not knowing that they're just almost giving breadcrumbs to who that person is. And like you're saying, now we have a scammer who can tailor make a scam for that person. And that's how they're so easily prone to being victimized. So you're absolutely right with that. And could you also just talk about the uh, particular vulnerability of uh, children and uh, their use of uh, the uh, uh, social media and uh, internet that opens them or and the family up uh, for uh, possible uh, identification. 
Absolutely. So that's that's my area. A lot of times, especially with our youth, um, they are growing up in a time where stranger danger is like non-existent. And so they can have a relationship with someone online for a month and they're like, oh, this is my best friend. We talk every day. And so um, I've heard plenty of stories out there where kids feel comfortable talking to strangers, putting their information out there. And then a lot of times as they are communicating with these people, they're giving out that sensitive information. Um, It could be like you said, hey, I think me and my family are traveling to Disney World for Christmas. Well, now we know where you're going to be or you're taking a, um, you're using Snapchat and you make a snap. Now they have geotagging connected to that. So now I can know where you live or where you're currently at. And so it does make a lot of um, vulnerability and risks out there for youth. And they're not even really understanding or really comprehending, hey, someone could be watching me. And when we're thinking about these vulnerable populations, you know, so if you're thinking about the elderly and then we're thinking about the youth, it appears as though the the message to get across is similar but also different, that you've got to target the youth in a way that's different than the way that you target the elderly. Natalie, can you talk about, I guess since you, you just finished mentioning the youth, how is it that you go about educating the young people? Because, you know, as a mother, it's really daunting. I I just don't, you know, as much as I, you know, I'm attorney, I counsel my children, but one, they don't always listen to me. Um, But but you're fighting against this culture, as you noted, of just putting all of your information out there. And they are so vulnerable. How do do we go about better educating our, our young people? So we're we're really fighting or we're really up against um, community. So where we would find our community and our next door neighbor and people that we see face to face, a lot of times they're going to find their community on social media. And so a lot of times it is hard for them. And a lot of times they won't listen because they're like, this is my community. This is my friend. This is somebody who I, I feel like I've established rapport and relationship with. And so it's hard to kind of get them to understand, hey, just because, you know, this person says they that they might be your age or, you know, they're at your school. It could be someone who's not that person, which is commonly known as the term catfishing. A lot of our children are thinking that they're talking to their peers and they're not. And so that vulnerability comes. So then let's say that they might ask for a, a gift card or can you send me something for Christmas? Now they're like, well, yeah. That's a quick transaction right on my cell phone, and it's done. Venmo me some money. Cash app. Cash app me some money. I mean, so it it just becomes easy, and and it's the culture. You're fighting against the culture of community online. And so, like he said, just keeping that private um, versus personal information, you know, never sharing private information. Be very limited with the personal information that you're sharing. If we continue to hone in on those those, things, those tips, then kids can be a little less vulnerable. Yeah, that's a very good tip for parents to tell their kids what's personal versus private in our house. You got to kind of set those rules when we kind of forget that um, because that society that we're in now, it's not the pagers, it's not the payphone, it's a cell phone. And now we're connected to the whole wide world. We're in a rush to get the more likes. You know, I'm in a rush to tell more about myself. Here's where I've been. This is about me. And they slip up, they give out information, they built a profile online, online, which they think is cool. Yeah, that is my profile. I want to yep. be a YouTube star or what have you. And then when you're around your peers, 
at those ages, I guess from roughly 7 up to 15, 16 more, and all of them are on uh, social media. And you are uh, trying to fit in to that culture, then it becomes even more daunting to control the enthusiasm of these children to be on the media. Yeah, and you can see it with us. Each of us, we all have cell phones. We look at them nonstop, and we're adults. We didn't grow up into this. And so kids, it's right there. I mean, that's how they fit in. That's what it is. That's you mean adults do that? <laughs> <laughs> the few that I've been around. <laughs> and, you know, even though we as adults, you know, do that, our kids oftentimes know more about the technology, about these spaces, these social media spaces than the parents do. So even when the parents are thinking that they're providing their children with good counsel, so many parents are just completely unaware of what's out there. So when we're thinking about, so so what can we do as a community, right? We, we know that, that parents are not oftentimes able to deal with this problem, you know, themselves. So what as a community can we do to make it easier to make sure that our children are protected? I think um, bringing it back to your our youth and the children because they are their biggest influencers. So if we can get on the front end of this, which to me prevention is key, um, and and put it back in their hands, how can we as as this this cohort or this group, how can we protect each other? How can we limit the cyberbullying? How can we limit um, what kind of campaigns can we run at school or at our church to raise awareness about the vulnerabilities that are here online? Um, because like you said, a lot of times they're you know they're like, I know what I'm doing. You know, I have it together. And so if we can kind of put that responsibility back and give them some ownership of it, then uh, with guidance, of course, then that, that can give them an opportunity to really raise awareness amongst themselves, which I think is the best best way. And also the parents, we have the, you know, we have experience. So we know, for example, when you're young, you don't think about tomorrow. You're living for today. Well, we can tell them, hey, anything you post, I don't care if you delete it, you use a and a, not as a different username, it is on there forever. You post something bad, they can trace it back to you. That computer, that device you used, it's traceable. All those hidden apps you have, they can pull it up. Here's the advice, and then, like Natalie said, let the youth design how they want to spread that information to each other, whether it's you know a campaign at their school, just to inform each other. Be careful of what you put on the Internet or social media. It could follow you. It'll be there the rest of your life. And then some. Infinity, right? Right. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's a great suggestion in terms of empowering the youth, you know, because they will listen to each other oftentimes before they listen to, you know, the adults in their lives. So that's, yeah, I think that's a really good approach. Yeah, but then we have a a similar problem with with the elderly, uh, particularly those who are are restricted in uh, their movements and they are searching for uh, communications and the opportunity to share and engage uh, with others. And while it might be a different type of enthusiasm uh, than the uh, young people, uh, younger people have, uh, it is nevertheless a similar kind of problem uh, that, uh, that uh, the elderly would encounter. 
Absolutely. I, it just made me think of how starkly different they are. So a lot of times with our elderly, we're thinking about loneliness. They don't have the sense of community. So then they're reaching out. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have community and we're reaching out and it's almost in a viral or uncontrollable manner. So it's like you said, Mr. Irv, it's it's, it's two different um two different ways that they're getting kind of pulled into these vulnerabilities. So one extreme could be loneliness. The other extreme is being out there wanting to have your name known or have that community online. Yeah, and that loneliness, we we just say the word, but, you know, I'm big on putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Loneliness can be married to someone 30, 40 years, and that loved one passes away. Your friend shows you a chat room. You're like, what is this? You know, you're elderly. Oh, this is new. Okay, this is cool. Let me get on this. Oh, wow. I met this person. They're beautiful. They're a retired business person and working somewhere overseas, building a school. This is awesome. I didn't know this was here. And like Natalie said, they'll build that long-term relationship and they'll target them and, you know, for their money eventually. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we've been talking with attorney Hugh Harris, who is the Outreach and Policy Counsel for the Public Protection Division of the North Carolina Department of Justice, and Natalie Wood, who is the Outreach Specialist with the North Carolina Department of Justice. We'll be right back. We hope you stay with us. I'm Nastasia Harris, a second-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your Virtual Justice Spotlight. Every year, millions of Americans in the United States are victims of scams in the real and virtual world. A scam is a fraudulent act or operation towards another that results in a wrongful financial or personal gain. The North Carolina Department of Justice handles more than 20,000 reported consumer scams every year and have successfully helped North Carolina residents recover more than $100 million in losses. Top consumer scams include credit card fraud, phone or utilities fraud, loan or lease fraud, and employment or tax-related fraud. Here are a few tips consumers may use to protect themselves against potential fraudulent transactions. First, if an offer sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Second. Always read contracts carefully before you sign them and make sure all written documents match what you've been promised. Never sign a document that you don't understand or that has blanks to be filled in later. Third, be cautious and avoid anyone who demands an upfront fee for a prize such as lottery winnings. And lastly, never give out your social security, credit card, or bank account number or any other personal information to anyone you don't know who contacts you. If you think you've been the victim of a scam, more information is at 919-716-6000 and www.ncdoj.gov. Virtual Justice at the NCCU School of Law is the intersection of technology and the legal clinical program. I'm Nastasha Harris. Thanks for listening. And we're back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson, and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking about scams, identity theft, and internet safety with representatives from the North Carolina Department of Justice. We have attorney Hugh Harris, who is the Outreach and Policy Counsel for the Public Protection Division, and Natalie Wood, who is an outreach specialist. 
And Hugh, right before the break, you were talking about the vulnerability of the elderly and how loneliness might cause them to get involved with someone online. Uh, They might form a long-term relationship. And then the person who is not who they say they are might be using that as a means to get money. Can you talk a little bit more about that particular scam? Sure. It's called the Sweetheart Scam. It is currently the number one scam here in North Carolina in the United States as far as being successful. The amount of money lost uh, from seniors and you know, the, the, some of the factors, these scammers know that seniors are accessible, right? Um, they'll have cash on hand sometimes. They'll have a 401k or pension they can take money or withdraw from or savings account. So that's the reason to target them. And then, especially, you know, if you're a scammer, you find that person who's lost that loved one, like we talked about. So that, that elderly person may be involved in church, clubs, and still active, but they don't have that person at home who's there with them. And that and then they'll try that chat room. They'll meet someone. It'll be a long-term thing. They'll tell them, you know, they're some business person working overseas. They're worth millions of dollars. They're not bragging. They're donating their time some part in, let's say, the Congo in Africa. It's very dangerous. You can't come meet them. They want to hurry up and complete this job. They're building a school. They want to be with you. They'll tell them they love them. They have everything in common with them. And then that person will call them will contact the elderly person with an emergency. There's been a coup or something happened and they can't get access to their cash. They can't finish the school. We need to be together. Can I get $20,000? And it's no big deal because I'm a millionaire, right? You know, you know, my money's going to be your money anyway. And then they just keep new emergencies keep happening. And that's why, you know, you, you got some psychology involved here. You know, even if the children are right there talking to the elderly person, I've had that situation where adult kids will tell me their parent is involved in the throes of this sweetheart scam. What is it can they do? Sometimes it's very hard to stop because if that elderly person is of sound mind and body, uh, the adult protective services isn't going to go in. A court order is not going to stop that. It is their money, technically. And they can say, you know what? It's my money. This is my friend that talks to me every day. I'm going to keep sending them money. I'm just helping them out. And and, um, that's how devastating it can be or could be on the flip side where the adult children find out and they really come down hard on their, you know, adult, you know, father or mother. And it makes that person who's lost this money feel terrible. Imagine how you would feel. You know, I I fell for this. This was somebody that wasn't even real. You know, it's, it's pretty devastating. So it has such a profound effect on people. Uh, throughout uh, North Carolina. That's why we, we stress it. Prevention, you know, adult kids, go talk to your parents, you know, if they're they're home alone or, or your neighbors. Make sure they're doing okay. Aunts and uncles, you know, keep everybody in mind and keep checking on them, making sure they're okay. Tell them about this scam so they don't even, you know, so they're thinking about it ahead of time. Let them know what these people are trying to do. Well, there's also the uh, the embarrassment that the elderly suffer by having to tell someone uh, that they've been duped uh, in this manner. So you have a lot of pride uh, also uh, that uh, complicates the uh, ability of uh, family members uh, to discover uh, exactly what's going on. That's right. That's right. Uh, my situation, I remember an adult child called, and they found out because their, their father was asking them for money. He wiped out his account. And finally, they kept it. What is? What do you need five thousand for? And finally, he spilled the beans, so to speak, and told them. And they're like, "Oh my goodness!" So they were calling our office for assistance. 
And in that situation, Hugh, when the, so you've got the the adult children calling your office in that situation, what 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 is there to do? We offer a lot of resources. Our office, for example, if they are sending wires uh, through Western Union. For example, we have a settlement with our office. North Carolina Department of Justice settled a case with them a couple of years back where it's a wire interdiction where we can stop the second wire. So if they're wiring that money there, we can uh, contact Western Union, for example, and block any additional wires. Uh, bank tellers, there is a law where they can uh, notify the person that's on a contact list if they feel that elderly person is sending money somewhere you know, that may be a fraud or a scam. So that's an actual law. So there's a lot of resources we try to offer them. We can't just go in there legally as North Carolina Department of Justice and stop someone's bank account, put a hold on it. But at least we can do is be there, try to provide assistance, try to provide some of the other resources we have to try to help that adult child to stop this situation uh, where this person may lose their whole savings, may lose their house, who knows, whatever. And when these scammers have them, they have them. Natalie, what's been your experience with these particular sweetheart scams? So I like that you all talked about how um, you try to conceal it. But fear, I have noticed, has been another reason why the elderly, the embarrassment, but then fear. Like, if I tell my adult child that I did this, they're going to take away (laughs) all of my access to my money. So I think it goes undetected way more And I I get pulled over to side conversations all the time after an event where they say this happened to me, but I'm scared to say it. So fear is another thing. And if we I don't know how to bring it together, but if the adult children can make them feel comfortable enough to tell them and not have like, hey, we're taking away all of your access. Mm -hmm. We're going to come in and, you know. Power of attorneys. Yeah, all that stuff. stuff. Exactly. So I think that's what the elderly, when that happens to them, they kind of wrestle with that, too. I'm embarrassed, but I'm also scared because if I do say something, then what are, what are the ramifications for me saying it? And then she brought up a great point. That's why we, when we talk to these groups, whether they're elderly, middle-aged, we're telling the middle-aged folks, hey, your parents, anybody could make this mistake. Try not to come down hard at them because this can happen to anybody. Here's how, you know, you can try to stop this situation. Can you can you just add a few words uh, to the elderly category about the uh, home home aid, home care aids and the scams that are uh, associated with people offering to uh, to help in person uh, and then uh, obtaining the uh, confidence of the uh, elderly person such that they become now the uh, person with the power of attorney. Yeah, and that and that's that's very scary, Professor Joyner. You mentioned that. That's where you home care aid. You have somebody that's in the house. You know, we talk about it a lot when we travel with the contractors. When they get in the house, if they're a scammer, mm-hmm. man, they get in there. They're hard to get out because they're telling the elderly person, "You look like my grandma who passed away last year from cancer. I'm retired military." You know, they're they're building some connection and they're saying, "Hey, I can fix those stairs." Oh yeah, there's a leak in the attic, and they get in there and they're basically writing the checks. Here, I'll write that check for you. Notice. Your hand's shaking a little bit. I want to help you out. Let me bring you breakfast tomorrow, too, and I'll be able to talk to you. And they'll sit and talk to them, barely do work. So the home aid, health care aid, that's the same situation. When they're in that home, man, that, that is tough because they'll have access to 
these accounts, that elderly person nonstop, and that's someone that the elderly person relies on. And the adult children, or even adults in the area may think, hey, we got a home health care aide, I don't need to stop by. They're good. Let me, let me go to work. Stop by. Okay? Yes, stop by. Check up on that home health care aide. Check up on the company. You know, talk to your your parent or whoever's receiving these services, ask them what happened today or, or how how's their day going? You know, what did they do today? You know, make sure you're on top of it. Check their accounts. If you have access to their accounts, monitor them, check them for them. Make sure there's no, you know, out of the range expenditures or anything like that in there. What advice, and, and you've talked about this advice that you give to adult children of elderly folks. What else would you tell them? So someone is listening to this and they're saying, my gosh, I had not I didn't know that it was this bad. What are some of the first things that you would tell them to do, like a a list of okay that that we all should be doing if we've got elderly parents? So the first thing that we I, I would say is to, number one, get the relationship. We don't know what the relationship status is going in with adult parents, but make sure you you put a a place of security and safety there, go ahead and get their affairs in order in a certain way. So if they, you know, like you said, having access to those bank accounts and those credit cards and things that they may have in their home, um, where a home aid person could be there, um, making sure that they have checkups, check-ins, following up with them. Yeah, we tell people, and, and again, when we speak, we're speaking to, again, all age groups, you know, over 18, basically, you're dealing with the scams and frauds, even though I've talked to younger. But we're telling them just these fu- fundamentals, you know, if it's too good to be true. Because you could be a victim of a scam. You don't have to be elderly now. Trust me. Money is green. If you got it, you got $100 in your account, they'll scam you. Uh, it's a numbers game. So if it's too good to be true, remind us, have this conversation with their parents. Don't pay in advance. You know, Mom, if you're getting some contract work, I'll come here and review the contractor for you and check the work. Help them out. Uh, try to protect their information. Tell them to pay with their credit card. Monitor their accounts, like I mentioned. So that law that I was talking about, any financial account, any bank in North Carolina, if you're the trusted person for your mom or dad or, or an elderly person, make sure they add your name to that account, for example, because that bank teller then instead of in the past where they would have to give that elderly person the money right away when they asked for it and let them wire it wherever they want it to. Now, because of that law, they can stop and they can call that person, that that contact person, and say, hey, your mom is down here trying to wire money, you know, and then you can hopefully stop that. Um, Also, you know, I kind of tell people, get the POAs, power of attorneys. That should be for everybody, everybody that's an adult. I mean, why not? You choose who's going to handle your finances or your medical in case that worst situation happens. Because then that that's what Natalie kind of mentioned, getting your affairs in order with your mom and dad, but also you, yours personally, too. So uh, some of those are some of the key facts. And, and I think that's a really good point. So we can, I think, encourage our parents to get their affairs in order if we do it at the same time. So it can be like a family project. Let's all get together and make sure, you know, so all the siblings and then the parents and the aunts and uncles, you can, as people are getting together for the holidays, this is a perfect time to have a family meeting and talk about let's get our affairs in order um, and kind of educate and learn about this as a family as opposed to, you know, just focusing on, you know, the parents and what they may be susceptible to because, Hugh, as you noted, everyone um, is vulnerable. If someone wanted to learn about um, some of the 
seminars that you all do or the community engagements that you all do, how would they find out about those programs? So some of uh, the events that we put to, or that are put on are publicized. A lot of times we um, we do respond to organizations um, who ask for us. So I would say get plugged in to some organizations that are within your community. Um, and if there's nothing that you all have from DOJ, maybe being that person to get the programs out there, because that's what we're here for. We're here to, to educate the public. So get plugged in in your community. Hopefully you will find us out there. We're out there pretty regularly, <laughs> I would say. Um, and make the initiative, if you don't see it in your community and you'd like to, to contact us at ncdoj.gov and request us to come out. We'd be more than happy to. Yeah, even churches, where, wherever you belong, and, and bring it up. Say, hey, let's get a talk on scams and frauds. I heard, I was listening to the radio, I heard this thing is pretty bad, but those people at North Carolina Department of Justice talk about it. Let's, let's try to get them out here and we'll do it. We'll come out there and speak and educate because we don't want it to happen to you or your friends or fam family members. That's an excellent uh, idea. Uh, is there uh, an official complaint process uh, that people who are uh, who discover that they've been victimized can file uh, with with your office for an investigation? Or how does that uh, how does that process uh, work? Because a lot of the stuff is uh, uh, in the domain of the person who is being victimized. And I know that uh, there is the possibility of some overreaching on the part of a governmental agency into the affairs of individual uh, citizens, which is uh, would not be uh, uh, sanctioned by the uh, by the law. So, uh, what is the complaint process, and what is it actually that uh, that 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 you can do for an individual uh, who has uh, been the uh, subject of victimization? Yeah. The the law, let me just mention that, Chapter 75, North Carolina's Unfair and Deceptive Trade Practices Act, which is housed in the North Carolina Attorney General's Office Consumer Protection Division. There is a complaint process. You can go to www.ncdoj.gov or you can call our office 1-877-556-7226. 1-877-5-NO-N-O-SCAM-S-C-A-M. So, you could file a complaint yourself. Your family member can file a complaint. If you have an attorney, they can file a complaint, help it, help you fill it out. I don't care if you lost the money, you know, jury duty scam, you think it's gone, still file the complaint. As I tell people, and people will ask that, you know, what's, what's the reason for this if I lost the money? Well, it's so we can protect other people in your community. You're informing us of a scam that may be targeting your whole county, your whole city, and it lets us know, because we don't know everything, we're located in Raleigh, we keep up to date, but it lets us know what's happening out there and the education we can provide. Now, if you file, once you file that complaint, you tell us kind of what happened, the story, uh, you can attach any sort of information you have, receipts, text messages, anything like that that's associated with it. We'll review the complaint. We have complaint specialists. Attorneys will review complaints. The specialists will forward it to us. We'll look at it. I don't care if it's one complaint against the company or if it's, you know, 50. We'll review it and we'll say, wow, this looks pretty egregious. You know, as an attorney, and we'll say, let's contact this company and see what's going on because we know not a lot of people will file complaints. So we can 
by law, we can do quite a few things. We can send an inquiry letter to that company or to that scammer. We can send a civil investigative demand, or we can file a complaint seeking a temporary restraining order, shutting that company down, informing the whole community there's a scammer out there. Here's what we're doing as the attorney general's office to shut them down. And then we're also trying to get you restitution. We're trying to get your money back, make you whole again as much as possible. So that's sort of the complaint. There's different complaints we have, a general consumer complaint, an automobile complaint, a price gouging complaint, do not call sort of uh, a complaint in there. So we have quite a few uh, that, are, that are effective. Um, Hugh, can you talk a little bit about identity theft, what what that is and, and how it occurs? Sure. Uh, identity theft is basically where someone, you know, takes over either your Social Security number. There's different types. It could be medical. It could be, you know, child identity theft. But it really focuses in on Social Security number or someone taking your information and using it financially for their own purpose. And how can it occur? So many different ways, whether it's the Internet, whether you keep your Social Security card and carry it with you in your purse or wallet because you've been doing it since the 80s and you lose it and someone gets a hold of it and then they'll start filling out forms or they'll get a boat in your name in California without you knowing about it or get medical treatment in Arizona without you knowing about it and they won't pay the medical bill or they'll fill out your taxes for you so to speak and you'll never know they filled it out and until you attempt to fill yours out so with that social security number and identity theft, which is huge, which could happen to someone, it is a very hard process to clean that back up. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we've been talking with Attorney Hugh Harris, Outreach and Policy Counsel for the Public Protection Division of the North Carolina Department of Justice, and Natalie Wood, Outreach Specialist for the North Carolina Department of Justice. So we will be right back. We hope you stay with us. The Center for Child and Family Health was founded in 1996 as a consortium of North Carolina Central University, Duke University, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and the Durham community. Since that time, CCFH has become a national leader in research, training, and the treatment of childhood trauma. The mission of CCFH is to care for children and families affected by abuse, neglect, and other forms of trauma. Its professionals utilize a multidisciplinary, measurable approach to provide prevention services, treatment for children and families, professional training, and research related to childhood traumatic stress by uniquely integrating community-based practice and academic excellence. Its vision is that every child has the right to be loved, nurtured, and safe. As a center of excellence, CCFH strives to define the highest standards in the prevention and treatment of childhood trauma. In this way, stability and hope can be restored for children and their families. Information about the Center for Child and Family Health is at 919-419-3474 or the Center's website at www.ccfhnc.org.
And we're back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson, and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking with attorney Hugh Harris, Outreach and Policy Counsel for the Public Protection Division of the North Carolina Department of Justice, and Natalie Wood, Outreach Specialist for the North Carolina Department of Justice. Hugh, right before the break, you were talking about identity theft, what it is and how it occurs. And as you mentioned, this is another huge area where people are taken advantage of. So, and and you mentioned the availability of, of people's social security numbers. So what can folks do to try to prevent this? And then we'll have you share with us what folks can do if they have been victims of of identity theft. Right. And I just try to tell people, look, it's your prerogative. Don't carry your social security card on you unless you're going to use it that day. I I know, like I mentioned, some people say, well, I've been doing it for a long time. Nothing. Well, you know, what if you lose that, that social security card? Also, you don't have to always give out your social security number just because a business asks for it. Empower yourself and say, why do you need it? You know, or you're at the hospital for your kid you know, what's your kid's social security number? Why do you need my kid's social security? Are you going to bill them if they don't pay? You can get mine. You can get my last four digits. You know, we have to empower ourselves with this number because now we see how it's connected to everything. I mean, even getting a traffic ticket or something, you can give the cop someone's social security number. So it, it, it's so much out there with it. I know it seems overwhelming, but it's our duty. It's your number to try to protect it. Uh, now, on the other side, we do know there's data breaches companies that have our information. We know Equifax happened a couple of years ago and, you know, our social security numbers were lost over 50% of us here in North Carolina. So, you know, it's, it's the company's duties and also our own. Uh, those are some of the ways that, you know, that social security number can get out there. And so what is someone to do? So you mentioned the data breach and that, you know, through no fault of the, you know, individuals, the consumers, their information is out there. And there are, could you give us an idea of how many people are victims of identity theft here in the state? Uh, Last year, it was around 2 million people in North Carolina were affected. Uh, The year before that was the Equifax uh, data breach. It was over 5 million North Carolinians were affected. Uh, There's about 10.3 million of us, so over 50% of us. So that number could grow as more companies come forth and say, hey, we had a data breach in 2018, so the number of people affected by it could grow. And data breach does include personal identifying information, not just Social Security number, could be credit card information, checking account, savings account, any sort of information. I view it as being cl- uh, connected financially. Uh, it's identified in a statute, but you know that sort of information constitutes a data breach. And some of the things you can do is we tell people, monitor your finances, not just your current checking and savings account, not just rearing in the holiday season, right? Black Friday, you may spend too much. Don't be ashamed. Look at your account. Make sure you spent that money. Check it. Make sure it's on point even after Christmas. But also your pension, your 401k. Look at those. Make sure no one's accessed those. Get your credit report. You can get one free for a year from each of the major TransUnion Equifax experience. You get one free per year. Why don't you look at it? Review it. Make sure it's correct. And lastly, uh, you know, your passwords too. Make sure your passwords for your email account because we do everything on our cell phones Mm -hmm. and email accounts. We have all sorts of information in our email accounts, Netflix accounts, everything like that. So make sure your passwords are strong. And I always tell people, write down your passwords, 
put them in a drawer where you, you work desk at home or something like that. Don't take a picture of it with your cell phone. Don't store it on the computer. You know, keep that stuff safe. And lastly, get the security freeze. That's very, very important. It's free for everyone in North Carolina, or free for everyone. Congress made it free uh, last year for everyone. North Carolina it was free for a certain age, but now it's free for everyone. And it's, it's, what, what it does is it locks your credit. So TransUnion, Equifax, Experian, if you're going to make a purchase where someone has to check your credit, they have to have the passcode that you create. It's on our website, uh, www.ncdoj.gov. You can type in free security freeze. We'll provide the links to those three different credit reporting agencies. You go there. You create your own password. Really quick to do. You can do it over Thanksgiving dinner. All you need is a computer. It can be, you can do it for your elderly loved ones and everyone right there. And that's a great thing, a great tool to use. So if your Social Security number is out there, you know, you get to lock that credit. So you would recommend that people do that security freeze even if they even if they don't know that they've been a victim of identity theft. You should just, as a matter of course, do that. Correct. Preventive. Yeah. I have it. Um, doesn't matter what age you are. Now, some people will do it for their children. That's fine if, if you want to do that. Or you can check their credit reports, whatever is easier for you. But just make sure you have that pen and paper beside you when you create that pin code. Trust me. And people should be aware of the effectiveness of that because you can't get a loan uh, unless they go through the uh, credit reporting services uh, to get some uh, approval of your credit score and other uh, indicias of your ability to, uh, to pay back. But when you do that, though, you also have to recognize that you need to keep the identification code available in the event that you do want to make a loan. Yes, uh, and that you can then unlock uh, the uh, the freeze that uh, that that you have, uh, because nothing is uh, uh, worse than needing it and then not being able to access it because you've misplaced the uh, the credit code. I mean the uh, password code uh, that you uh, that you use for the credit freeze. Yeah, that's why I tell people to to write it down. But if you do forget it, you can contact a company. You'll have to generate another one. If you forget you have a freeze, because it's free, it's permanent, it can last a whole lifetime if you want it to, the company will tell you, like, hey, you got a freeze. You're like, oh, yeah, I forgot. And you can yeah. contact the company online or call them and unlock it. They'll check it, and it can lock back up. Could, could you also talk a little bit about the uh, uh, reverse mortgage? Uh, because there's been some uh, troubling reports out uh, about uh, the uh, negative implications of these uh, reverse mortgages they're highly uh advertised on the uh on television uh now and uh they have uh offer a uh, great promise uh for a life of uh, uh 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 of leisure and care uh but uh you can really uh, get messed up if you aren't properly monitoring that so one of the things that I like to say, it almost is like, um, what, what what is it called? Payday loans kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's got that same kind of feel to it. Hey, we're going to let you get the equity out of your house. You already paid for it. So it's like putting, it's almost like you're, you're getting that money, but it's putting yourself back into a mortgage that you might have already paid for. And a lot of our elderly are on limited or um, a, a certain income. And so... 
we like you said, you have to be careful looking at the interest rates, looking at, you know, the terms of the contract that they're signing to do this reverse mortgage. Because like you said, they make it sound good. Oh, it's your house. It's your money. You you know, you've worked for it. You've paid for it. You know, everything will be fine when you borrow against it. But then they may be putting their whole house on the line and they not know it and they miss a payment. And here we go. Now we're a victim again. So like you said, I almost put it in the same vein as you would a payday loan. Um, they they give you the money up front, hey, it's yours, but then that, that payback and that interest rate could be something that is not um, a good thing for a consumer. And Professor, let me just add just this one, the, the, the tip, the fundamentals, right? If it's too good to be true, just back yourself up if you can. Hang up that phone, read the paperwork, review it with someone. Whatever they're offering, it'll probably be too good to tr- be true, and it's a scam. So if someone is confronted with something and they're like, hmm, this might be too good to be true, but I'm not quite sure. Can they call your office and and just say run it by somebody? Yes, and and what I would love to tell consumers, if y'all don't take anything away, if someone is pressuring you, you got to do it right away. And if not, you're going to lose everything. No, cut it. That's a red flag. That's right red now. flag number one. If this offer is only good for 33 <laughs> seconds, then no, we can't do that, right? So it should. If you're, if there is a, a and I, something like that that does come up where they're like, well, I'm not quite sure about it. Do your research. Do your due diligence. Call our office. We are here to help. Um, so just make sure if anybody tries to put any time constraints on you where you're high pressured situations, if you don't have it, you're going to you know, be charged more or this this deal only lasts for a day or two days or whatever. Those are the warning flags or, or red flags, warning signs that you should look out for. Yeah. Well, you know, along, along with that, I just heard about this uh, uh, utility cutoff uh, scam. Uh, where uh, people are being called uh, and informed that uh, if there isn't an immediate payment on their electric bill or gas bill, uh, that uh, the service will be terminated that day or within a day. Uh, And uh, uh, obviously people are concerned uh, about that. Uh, Can you you talk about uh, uh, just how prevalent uh, that, particular uh, scam is? So that actually kind of falls under your small businesses. A lot of times um, you'll get that invoice or um, like you said, that phone call where they're saying, hey, you know, your utilities will be cut off. I've seen that a lot of times in that particular area. So if you're a small business owner, if you, you know, are running a business, maybe it is from your home and you have that, I guess the biggest thing is to make sure you keep up with your your books and making sure that everything is paid on time. I know like for me, I make sure I, I keep a monthly budget to make sure I paid it. So if that does come in, then I'm like, no, no, no. I, I have my documentation right here. But a lot of times people will fall victim to that, especially if they're not organized or um, if if they might have someone else handling that piece of their affairs. So I just say um, be careful with that, especially with our small business owners. And, and- the, just to piggyback on that, they they will also target individuals. I've heard about it, and they're great at it because they have your address, they have your name, the caller ID. They can spoof a number. That means they can make a number look like it's from the power company. And I'll call you up at about six o'clock, right before that sun's going down, and I'm gonna say, "Look, I'm calling from that collections department of your local power company, and I'll verify your name, your address. 
I may even have your account number. I may have got it from the mail or something you forgot to shred. And I'll say, look, uh, unfortunately, we haven't received your last two payments. We're going to have to cut off your power this evening. The truck's located right there in your neighborhood. You need to make a payment, $200. You can wire it. We also accept gift cards. Isn't that great? And I'll stay on the phone with you because I want to help you out. I hear you telling me you paid, but our billing department is closed. We close at 5 o'clock. I'm going to call them tomorrow morning for you. And if we and if we find out you did pay, we're going to refund your check next week. And you got my number. Let me give it to you. And you got my name. And I'll make sure you get that refund check just in case. But look, that sun's going down. We're going to have to cut off your power. So there's some fear in there. And that's a great scam you just brought up, Professor Joyner, especially now with the cold air coming in and yes. heat. Right, right. We can't afford that to happen. We don't want that to happen. And Hugh, the way you just went through that like script, I, I was ready to write you a check like right now. I mean, don't do it yet. Yeah, don't do it. I mean, it just sounded it sounded very convincing and sincere, and I and I could see you know anyone kind of falling for that. Um, you know, you're at, you're at work, you're not at home, you don't have your documentation That's in right. front of you. Uh, you can't you know hang up the phone and and try to call because they say there there's a truck right there. That's right. And you've got someone who has that information, and it sounds incredibly credible. That's Absolutely. Right. That's right. And that's where you do have to verify. We tell people, hang up the phone, right? Hang up the phone. Call the number you know. It may sound scary, but try to do that. Yeah. But it also argues uh, that uh, for individuals that you have to be uh, better organized with that's your right. uh, finances so that you that you know that you have a schedule uh, for paying uh, the bills, that it's not done haphazardly, or you're not uh, robbing from, from Peter to pay Paul, <laughs> shifting money around from account to account, uh, using uh, the credit card to pay when they call you. Uh, so you, you have to be pretty uh, well organized and know what it is that you've done uh, and have some orderly process for uh, receiving bills, placing them in some location uh, so that you can properly attend to them. And, you know, what that raises, though, is the, the issues that the most vulnerable communities have, right? So when we think about the elderly, and so sometimes, you know, when you get of a certain age, yep. you may not quite remember as well as, as you used to, and you may not be quite as organized. And then we've got the young people who are oftentimes chronically orga- unorganized. <laughs> and so, again, you've got the vulnerabilities that feed into this particular, um, this particular scam, but, but also all of them. Natalie, you mentioned that uh, sometimes that people come up to you when you're speaking and they talk about circumstances that they've confronted. And can you talk a little bit about people clicking on links that they may think are perfectly fine, but that gets them into some trouble? Absolutely. So phishing is the term for it. And that has become like one of the biggest ways for people to actually have their information compromised. Um, and, and the reason why is because a lot of times it's coming from people that they know. Somebody's hacked their accounts, whether it's a Facebook, social media account, an email, and they're sending these these links out. Hey, I need you to click on this. So a lot of times we are um, making ourselves vulnerable because, number one, it's actually being sent from people that we think that we know. Um, and then we're clicking on those links, trying to get, you know, 
whatever information that they're out there. It could be a free gift card. Hey, you know, click on this survey for this $100 gift card. Well, little did you know that when you click that, now they have access to all your information that could be stored on your computer, could be stored somewhere online. And so we always say, do not click links. It can even happen on your cell phone. I've heard people being vulnerable on that. Hey, my friend sent me a text or it came a text came in. They said my husband was in trouble. And so I'm clicking this link or I see this picture and it could be a scam because like you said, spoofing is, is possible. So we just have to be careful. Do not click on links, especially ones that have like uh, a long chain of um, letters and characters. If it's, you know, something that looks a little funky or if you don't quite know the person's name, don't click on the link. So we we only have a few minutes left, but I wanted to ask uh, each of you, we've talked about a lot. Is there anything else that you all are are seeing people being um, vulnerable, especially vulnerable to that that you want to just share with um, with our listeners? I think just with the holiday season coming up, we want people to be safe, but also, you know, the, the spoof in the numbers. You know, these these robocalls, all of that, or, or even the text messages that may seem real that's coming from the pastor that said they're going to donate to a family. Just verify for me. Just hang up or or don't reply to the text. Just verify. That's all you have to do. And that takes seconds. Absolutely. Um, and. I, I would love to just kind of name a couple of those scams so that, you know, if they hear it, they'll be like, oh, I think that sounds familiar. So let's uh, so you have your sweepstakes, you have your fake lotteries, you have extended car warranties, your vacation and travel offers. You have your grandparent scam, your jury duty, your IRS scam. You have the sweetheart scam, which we talked about, the Windows IT technician scam, the CEO emails. Um the ones that we've seen here, the Nigerian scam, the inheritance scam, mystery shopper scam, jury duty, advanced fee loan scam, utility and kidnapping. So and those have all happened here in the state of North Carolina. So we want to make sure that, you know, and I know you guys are probably like, whoa. But if you if any of those those things resonated, just do some due diligence and check behind um, any of those those things that you might have heard. And that list of, of scams, and, and good gracious, I thought you were going to stop and you kept going, um, but it's good to get it out there and get yes, to know. Yes. Can people go to the DOJ website to learn about these scams? We'll have some of that information on there, but more importantly, the scams are important that Natalie told people, but stick to your fundamentals too. You know, stick to those tips that we gave you, and that's on the website too, and it will break down some of those scams, www.ncdoj.gov, G-O-V. All right. Well, we are out of time. We could, of course, talk more and more about this issue, an incredibly important topic for us to have. And we want to thank our guest, Attorney Hugh Harris, Outreach and Policy Counsel for the Public Protection Division of the North Carolina Department of Justice, and Natalie Wood, Outreach Specialist for the North Carolina Department of Justice as well. We want to thank you as well, of course, for spending your Sunday evening with us. We hope that you have learned something. I'm sure you have. And we hope that you will take this information and share it with your family and friends in your community. And if you have any questions, please send us an email. You can reach us at LegalEagleReview at nccu.edu. And we're also happy to announce that you can now find this show on iTunes in podcast form. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next week, stay informed and engaged.